I still haven't got that, you know, that mature, priestly, pastorly greeting. Yeah, I'm like, bless you. Well, thanks for coming. Uh, we are in Mark's gospel, and we are going to be uh, working on Mark chapter 4 today. We're going to be in one of Jesus' parables, and I'm going to ask you to open it and, and stand with me. We're going to read it uh, together. Uh, one of the things that happens the first time you work through a gospel is... It occurs to you that Jesus didn't come just to die on a cross and be resurrected. Like if, he did, if that was the only reason he came, he could have just come for a weekend. But he, he lives a life, a human life. And then the last three and a half years of that life, he emerges as this unbelievable rabbi that becomes really famous in that part of the world. And, um, and he's, he's not just saving us so we can go to heaven. He's bringing the kingdom of God to earth so that our lives here can be so much better. And one of the things he does is he tells these parables. So let's, let's dive into the parable of the sower, and then we'll pick it apart and see what God has for us. Uh, Mark chapter four, verse one. Uh, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large, he got into a boat and sat out and, uh, on it in the boat, out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And he taught them many things with parables. In his teaching, he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil, sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they didn't bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, came up, grew, produced a crop, some multiplying 30, 60, 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears for this, I hope you heard what I just said. So then he's alone with the 12 and they ask him, we don't completely understand what you were doing there. And so he explains it. Verse 14, he says, the farmer sows the word. The seed is the word. Some people are like seed among the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they, they, they last only a short time. Trouble, persecution comes because of the word, and they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, produce a crop, 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Holy Spirit, we ask you now to teach us. Help us to identify ourselves in this story and allow your Holy Spirit to do the work that needs to take place in us so that your word can be hidden in our heart and then bear fruit in Christ's name. All right, be seated, relax. I'm gonna talk for oh, just like two or three hours. It won't, it won't take long. 
<laughs> People that are new are looking around. Is he really? Yeah. You brought your lunch, right? All right, good. So this style of teaching, parables, this, is not, this would not be new to these people. Uh, even to this day in the Middle East, Middle Eastern authors, poets, songwriters, teachers, they use allegory, they use metaphor, they use parables to teach uh, deeper truth. And uh, so that was, that was common for these people. What was uncommon is Jesus is doing most of his teaching outdoors. And most rabbis back then didn't want to teach outdoors because there's too many distractions. But Jesus actually used the distractions. Uh, and he didn't see them as distractions. So I totally, I imagine this. He's, he's sitting there. He's sitting on the boat. People are listening. And he's like, everybody look over there. And they're looking over there. And there's a farmer out there broadcasting handfuls of seed out onto his land. And then Jesus uses that to teach them uh, about himself, about God the Father. Uh, so he says, let me tell you, the farmer goes out and sows the seed. So first of all, I'll tell you the farmer is in a minute, but the seed is the word. The seed is the word. Let's say that together. That's the good seed that, that is thrown out. Now, Mark uses a word for word that's a huge word. He could have used another word, but he uses the word logos. And logos is this word that was definitely being used a lot uh, in the first century among Greek philosophers. And the Bible writers would have been very aware of this. This was a huge word in, in, in literature in this day. The Greek philosophers taught that there was this logos. There was this ultimate word, this, this foundational, not word like a word, but this foundational truth that you had to figure out because it was the center of all other truth. It was the center of all things. It was the origin. Uh, and, and so there was this like central logos that created uh, word. And some philosophers even taught that the logos was the creator. Like, not that it was a person. Anyway, uh, the apostle John comes along and he says, it is a person. Remember the first part of the gospel of John? I'll start it and see if you've, if you've memorized this in the first, uh, first verses, first words of the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word. Yeah, this is, John starts his gospel like, like Genesis starts. In the beginning, which is in the Genesis, was the logos. The logos was with God. The logos was God. Through him, all things were created. In him was the life that is the light of all mankind. So the Bible writers latch onto this word that all, everyone's looking for back then and say, we know the word. It's not a principle. It's not a truth. It's a person. God himself came as logos. Okay, so the, wor the word is, the seed is the word. And then who's the farmer? Oh, confusing. <laughs> who's the far farmer? God the Father. So God the Father takes the Logos and scatters it on planet Earth. And who's the Logos? Jesus. Okay, you're, you're tracking with me, right? All right, you had your orange juice. Here we go. God the Father scatters Jesus on planet Earth on four different types of soil, Jesus says. And only one of these soils is going to produce anything. Three out of four of the soils are not going to produce from what God has scattered on planet Earth. And he knows that, but he wastes the seed anyway. So here we go. The four soils. The first soil was what? A pathway. All right. There's four soils, and you're going to learn these today. The first soil was a pathway 
soil. And he says the farmer comes along and he's scattering seed and some of the seed just falls on this pathway. Now, it's not gonna uh, produce anything because it can't get down under the surface. The pathway has been trampled down and so Satan comes along, it says like a bird, and he just snatches up the seed like an easy snack and off he goes. And so a pathway person, what would a pathway person be like? Well, it'd be like a person that comes on Christmas Eve and we haven't seen him since. Uh, we may see him around Easter time. And uh, it's, it's a person that came because they were being religious or they were just being kind to their friend or whatever, family member. But the seed that was sown on Christmas Eve will, will, will land on a hardened path. And you say, well, what hardened that path? Well, everybody's story is different. But the path has been hardened by life. It's been, something about life has trampled upon that person to the point where they're just not ready to receive uh, gospel. The only way they could ever change would be if that pathway could be protected for a while. Like when you're, you're hiking and the park service has put up a sign, you know, don't hike here. This soil is being, this is, everybody was using this as a shortcut and it's not a good idea. There was a path right here. Use the path over here. This is going to be protected and, and some good things will grow here again uh, eventually. Stay on the path and don't trample this down. All right, so some of you were actually like that when we first met. Uh, you, back in those days, maybe you were a little more cynical. Maybe you kind of kept us at arm's length. But we just kept throwing the seed, and you kept coming around. It was like something was also softening you. Something was drawing you as you were being prepared to receive Christ, the, 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 the Logos. And at a certain point, you opened up to him, and you were able to bury some of that seed under the surface. Now, whenever I think about a pathway person, I think about my grandpa Joe. I've talked to you before about my grandpa, Joe. He's the old, old Colorado cowboy. If you've ever read a Zane Grey novel or seen a good Clint Eastwood movie, uh, that's my grandpa, Joe. He was all of about 130 pounds, tough as nails, and uh, old Colorado uh, cowboy. He was in the sheriff's posse of Otero County. Uh, but, but my grandpa, Joe, had a, a, a tragedy happen in his life where he turned. And you know, when we have a terrible tragedy, we can either turn toward God or turn away from him. And my grandpa Joe turned away from God when his young wife Hazel passed away. And he had prayed for Hazel and he had promised God, you know, if you will heal my wife, you know, I'll, I'll straighten up and whatever. And, and, and she passed away. So then he turned and it wasn't that he didn't believe in God. It's just that he was very, very angry. And so he was left to raise my mom, Barbara. Well, he was really angry when my, my mom went to Young Life camp and came home a Christian and a believer and, and then was trying to convert him and he's having nothing to do with it. And then she's dating my dad who comes from a Christian family. And within a couple of years, they were in Bible college training for ministry. And my grandpa was hating all of this and actually blaming my father. So he treated his son-in-law uh, poorly. So then my mom and dad had us three kids, my two sisters and me. We started following after Christ, and, uh, and then we started trying to convert Grandpa Joe. And because uh, we couldn't imagine heaven without cowboys, you know, he, he's got to go to heaven. And so we would draw in these pictures, and, and we would put heaven and hell, and we'd put a question mark, and, you know, subtle, subtle. Uh, but it didn't work. And Grandpa Joe, he thought it was cute, you know. But he was like, yeah, the little kids have been brainwashed by the guy who married my daughter. <laughs> well, then we grow up, we get married, we have kids, and then our kids start in on Grandpa Joe. 
Same thing. It was, it was like, it was almost even the same exact, you know, and they'd be at the dinner table, and please, Lord Jesus, save Grandpa Joe, you know. And then we'd be at their house, and please, Lord Jesus, save Grandpa Joe. And, uh, and I don't know the process, but I do know that at some point, the, the pathway softened. And, uh, and uh, maybe just to get the grandkids off his back, I don't know, but he, he told my dad, yeah, I'm going to, uh, I've been talking to Big Jimmy. He called God Big Jimmy. <laughs> you can't make this up. I'm talking to Big Jimmy. I'm going to give it a try. And, uh, and, and he did. He was, a, he was a strong Christian in the final 10 years of his life. And uh, just a, I, so many stories. I got to keep preaching, but... Uh, I, uh, I would just say, if you have a pathway person in your life, don't give up. Just keep throwing the seed. You don't, you don't have to preach at them. Let the kids preach at them. Uh, just keep throwing the seed. Just keep loving them. The grace of God. And just pray the Holy Spirit rains down on them. Pray that whatever's trampling them will stop trampling them. All right. So that's the first soil, which is what? The pathway. Second soil, the rocky soil. Jesus talks about the pathway soil. Then he talks about the rocky soil. He, this is different. He said, these folks hear the word and they receive it with joy, but since their roots don't go down deep enough, when trouble or persecution hits like the hot summer sun, they quickly wilt and, 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 and nothing, the, nothing that they are growing actually produces spiritual fruit. All right, so soil like this wouldn't have been hard for Jesus' listeners to imagine because underneath the surface, all over the Middle East, are these limestone deposits that are really thick and, 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 and pervasive. And before you can ever grow anything, you gotta clear out uh, the rocks so that the little roots, when they're still little, can get down and find deeper soil. You get, they have to find deeper soil because in the Middle East, it, it might not rain for five or six months. And so on the surface, it's hot, and the sun is blazing down, and there's no rain. And so the, the, if, if by then the roots haven't gone down real far, uh, that little plant is not going to make it. And I was thinking this weekend as I was preparing for this, this, actually this picture even reminded me of when I was uh, on the pastoral staff at Valley Christian Center, right out of Bible College. And we were meeting at Dublin High, and the church was thriving. And uh, this farmer in... Uh, Dublin, East Dublin, West Dublin, said, I want to sell you guys some of my land for your church, for you guys to have a church. He sold us 50 acres for under $200,000. Can you imagine that? 50 acres of Dublin. And uh, so we were just like, wow, this is a place we can plant our church. It will grow and thrive and whatever. Well, then, you know, we started hiring all the people you have to hire. The soils engineers were there, and they go, it's going to be hard to build on this hillside. Uh, for, for several reasons, but the main one being right under the dirt, there is, there is a limestone shelf that you're not going to be able to put foundation down deep until you get rid of what's buried uh, underneath here. So the guy, you know, all our, the, so the plan first was to dig out the rocks. So they get in there with all the big equipment, they try to dig, they can't move them, they can't budge them, they're huge. And then it was like, well, we're going to jackhammer the rocks into pieces and then dig them out. Well, it, it was too thick. So then they drilled holes way down into that stone. And late at night when everybody in Dublin was sleeping, they put dynamite in the holes. And you're just like, boom. You know, and somebody rolls over. What was that? Oh, it might have been an earthquake. And we're out there, you know. And then, the, then here, come, <clears throat> here come the huge trucks. 
and just take out tons and tons and tons of what were still boulders, but now uh, small enough for us to manage. All right, so I say all that because I think that that's like some of us. I, I, think, a lot of, I think there are some of us who have hard things that are buried just under the surface uh, where the surface looks great. But just under the surface, where no one can see it, um, the truth is the, the actual soil is actually pretty uh, shallow. So then what happens there? Well, we, 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 we sprout things really quickly. But then when, when the going gets tough, there tends to be a rootlessness about some of us. And it's not because we're bad people. It's because of the experiences we've had in the past where it's kind of fight or flight sometimes. And so it might be in our relationships where it starts to get a little too deep too quickly and we're like out of there, even if it was a really good person that wanted to date us or whatever. But it's like, you know, and we, we panic or it could be even like how we start things we can't finish or, or uh, I, don't, I don't know. But we, we, we know that w- there's not a depth to us and it's not because of something, it's not something we did, it's like it was done to us. And there's a hard... Ugh, in there. And there may be shame attached to it too, which makes it even harder to share. And uh, so we just leave it. We leave it buried and we don't deal with it. We learn to work around it and cope because it's just easier not, uh, not to deal with it or we don't know how to deal with it. I have a friend who's a total overachiever and he's extremely successful in his line of work and he's done very well for himself. But he, as we've gotten to be friends, he told me a story that he had to, uh, overcome what his dad buried in him. Because what his dad buried in him is you're worthless, you'll never accomplish anything, you're, you're, I'm not proud of you, I don't even like you. And this guy had to, uh, and he said, I would achieve something and I would think it would make me feel happy, but it actually just brought out anger in me because now my dad is dead and I wanted to say, see, you know, you were wrong. And, and he said it wasn't until actually he married a beautiful Christian woman who started saying, buddy, you got issues. I mean, we need to go to therapy. We need to talk about this. You're you're proving things to your dad, and your dad's not even around. And he realized what had been buried deep inside of him was, you're worthless, you're... And then he remembered that at his dad's funeral, some cousins came, and they all were talking, and they said, well, you know, your dad told me, he told me I was worthless. And they're like, he told you the same thing. And this man had this, I don't know what was wrong with this guy. But anyway, it was buried deep inside of my friend, and he had to break up those rocks, and, and he's still getting rid of some of that stuff. Uh, I have another friend. Uh, we were talking this week, and it just, as knowing that I was preaching this, it came in my, in my mind, also with her father. Uh, but her father was just a really angry guy. And uh, for whatever reasons, you know, she, this is a long story, actually, but he was a, angry to an abusive level. And she spent her childhood actually waking up in the middle of the night and running into the bedroom and trying to get in between her and dad and the mom to protect the mom from the abuse that she suffered. And so, uh, so my friend grows up and life goes on, but then she ends up having her own children and she noticed that as she was raising her children, anytime her children wouldn't behave in perfection, she was so angry with them. And here she's a Christian, but then the Lord starts speaking to her going, you're, doing, you're raising your child in anger just like your, da- your dad raised you in anger. Ah, it's not the same. Ah. She's ranting at God and, and God's all, let me heal you. Of that, And so then she started doing that hard work. She said she started reading books about this kind of thing. But then her Christian friends at Cornerstone, who she could trust, she started opening up to them and saying, I'm not the perfect Christian that you think I am. 
And you should see how mean I've been to my children. And they're like, we love you, we get it. You know, let's work together. And, and on the surface, you couldn't see it. But just under the surface were these hard things that, that had to be um, broken up. And that's what's happening in her life. That's a beautiful thing about this story, by the way, is the soils can change. Like if you're listening to this and you're identifying yourself in any of these three soils, uh, I would just say, First of all, identify yourself and be honest. Make that honest assessment, but then start crying out to God and say, this is the year where you're going to break up the soil. I'm gonna allow you, even if it's painful, even if I should have done it a long time ago, even if I've learned how to cope and kind of walk with a limp through life, this will be the year where I experience a deep inner healing uh, as you deal with the things that are buried deep under the surface. And it might start with prayer at the end of a service, it might start with an appointment to talk to a pastor, one of our care, uh, uh, people that have just been trained to listen and pray with you uh, during the week. It might be, you might be end up in therapy or in a group, but a year from now, you'll be like, wow, I'm so glad I started dealing with these things because it, it's really affecting your productivity in this world. All right, so Jesus goes on in verse 18. The first soil was what? Pathway. Second soil was what? rocky. Third soil is thorny soil. Thorny soil. Uh, Jesus says, still others like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word, but then the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So this third soil is really different because it's good at growing things. It's so good at growing things, it grows everything. I mean, this is that, that woman who can be in an if-gathering meeting one weekend, and then she's thinking Oprah's awesome, and then she can't decide if angels are, you know, and then, and then there's this doctrine, and there's this thing, and she just kind of, and then she might go see a fortune teller, but she also really loves to worship Jesus, and you're like, you're growing way too many things in your spiritual garden, girl. This is that person that just, just keeps starting things, starting, 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 but, but what happens is they've got these choking weeds that need to be weeded out of that garden. And Jesus defines the weeds. There's three choking weeds that he calls out by name. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things are choking this person. So let's just pick, them, let's just pick one at a time. The worries of this life. There are those of us that worry so much that it's wrecking the life that we're living. We're worried about what might happen and we're missing out on what is happening. Amen. Some of you, are, you know how you're a worrier is that you're already worried that I might be talking about you. <laughs> yeah, it's you. Have you ever talked to a married couple and, and one of them will say, she worries for both of us. My mom will say she experiences things three times. When she worries about it, when it happens, and then she worries about it again. She goes, you know, I just live life to the fullest. And she laughs about it, but she's had to process her worries. She was a little girl when her mom died, for Pete's sake. Of course she worries. But she can't stay there in a life of worry because it chokes the life right out of you. Have you ever noticed that what we worry about rarely happens? Yes or no? But then the worrier goes, well, I don't know about that. You know? And you're like, see, there you go again. No, it's really true. Most of what we worry about doesn't happen. And then some of the stuff we, that happens to us, we didn't think to worry about. 
And that's how crazy it is to sit around worrying and not having faith. The worrier has to ask God to help him break this habit because this is really difficult. This choking weed keeps coming up year after year after year. It's like our old house. We bought this old house and it was, no one else wanted it because it, it was a mess. And we started clearing it out. You couldn't even hardly see the house from the street. We were clearing out, clearing out. But one of the last things we, we cleared out was this bamboo. The, the previous owner thought planting bamboo was a good idea. Grab that, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, if you ever, if you ever tempted to plant bamboo in a place where it can just take over, I rebuke you. It's terrible. Someone later is going to be cursing you. No, I would get out there and I would dig. I would go out. I go burn it tomorrow. I'm working on the bamboo. She'd be like, "Okay, good." And I'd come into the house. I go, "I got it all." And then the next spring, you know, bamboozled. There it is again. And we don't even have pandas. I was like, I don't even know what to do with it. So we clear it out, clear it out. It was several years in a row. And I remember the summer where it was finally summer, and all of a sudden I look over there and I go, "The bamboo didn't come up this year. I got it." But it took forever to clear that out. And that's how these choking vines, uh, sometimes you just got to, you got to, Lord, let's clear it out again. Let's clear it out again. And those of us that worry too much have to actually talk out loud because worry has become this uh, subtext into everything we do. So we have to bring it out verbally where we have to literally say, you're getting ready for work, whatever. And you're already worried. You've only been up for 30 minutes. And you're already just like, and you're getting all, and you have to start talking out loud. And you say, Lord, Jesus, you got to help me. I'm already wrecking another day. And I don't want to do that. Help me. Protect me. Watch over me. Whatever it is I'm worried about. And you can verbalize it. I'm worried that blah, blah, blah will happen. And it's like, okay, Lord, that's what I'm worried about. Will you help me? If that happens, you'll help me cope. If it doesn't happen, but, at the, but I'm not going to, I, I, I refuse to let this weed choke me today. So that's the first weed. What was the second weed? Let's put them back up. It was the deceitfulness of wealth, as if money could lie to you. Now, give me a break. If you had more money, you wouldn't have any problems. All you need is more money. Then you'd be happy. Look at all the rich people, how happy they are. You need more money. The deceitfulness of wealth. Money can absolutely deceive us. I love what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 30. And he's a rich guy, so it's cool that he writes it. He says, here's what I'm asking, God. Two things. That's all I want is two things. Keep falsehood and lies far from me and give me neither poverty nor riches. Like, don't let me to be deceived because I'm apt to be deceived. And then give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. This would be a great way to raise kids, by the way, to memorize that one. Kids, we're not going after riches. We're not going to go after poverty. Both are not a good idea. We're going to go after what God has for us and let him decide. We're going to work hard. We're going to do all, this, all of our stuff at the end of the day if we just have our daily bread. That's why the Lord's Prayer, give us today. Otherwise, he says, if I have too much, I'll disown God. I'll say, I don't need him. And if I have too little, I might, I might dishonor God. So... I just want what God wants for me. I want what God wants for me. Do you really think that? Or do you still want what you want and you're trying to talk God into it? If you could get that mantra in your head, give me neither poverty nor riches. Just give me my daily bread. 
I just want what you have for me today, God. And you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. And then what happens is you're taking out two choking vines at once, and at the same time, you're going to take out that third choking vine, which is what? The third choking vine, let's throw it back up there. The first choking vine was worries. Second, this is covetousness. It's in the Ten Commands for a reason. The desires for other things. That means that the things you have aren't enough for you. So you gotta have other things. The experiences you have haven't been enough for you. So you gotta have more experiences. And it's always more expensive experiences. You gotta have other things. And some of us are plagued by this. You know, some of us shop way too much, whether it's at bricks and mortar or online. And you go, well, it's, it's relaxing. It's, it's cheap therapy. Well, first of all, it's not cheap because look at your credit card bill. You could have just seen a therapist. But you're trying to meet a need that cannot be met by purchasing a possession. And when we discover this, sometimes it takes us years to unpack it. We have to do Dave Ramsey. We have to start simplifying our life. We have to start saying, wait, I have closets full, drawers full, a garage full, and I'm paying for storage. I think I have a problem. I think I'm trying to get a need met. I think I have a fear-based life, and I actually believe that this next thing is gonna make me happy. And that's the thing about even shopping. It is a caffeine rush. It is. Because you buy something, you're like, this is the coolest thing. And then you, do, you just do it again. You just do it again and again and again. So we have to say, Lord, is this choking the life out of me? One thing it chokes out of you is the ability to be generous. And the ability to be generous makes our life so much better. But if we're spending all the money on ourselves and then even above and beyond that, putting things on credit cards, so now we're paying interest on things that we got on sale, then we can't be generous. And if you can't be generous, you can't be fully human. So then you turn into this selfish person. Well, guess who's getting choked? You. Generosity blesses the giver more than the one who receives it. Because it, it, it purifies our souls to say, I have more than I need because God is so good, and look, I have all this, and I can share it with other people. All right, and not just with possessions, also with experiences. Some of us, we just, we just book one experience after another. And it's like, you know, maybe you don't need a Disneyland pass. Maybe you don't need, maybe you don't need that expensive vacation. Maybe you could do something that would be more Relational, life-giving, cheap. Where it's like, no, this is what we're going to do. We're going to afford this. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a great time. And we're not going to look to experiences to meet our needs. And some of us were like that about food and wine. It's like just more, 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 more. And, uh, and so if, if that's you, you know who you are. And just let the Holy Spirit bring that conviction and to say, I actually think all this life you're living is choking the life right out of you. And uh, Jesus wants to identify that in us so that we can be productive uh, soil. All right, that was the first three soils. They all don't produce anything uh, lasting. What's the fourth soil? The good soil. The good soil. And uh, so uh, we got the pathway soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. When someone asks you about this weekend, what it was all about at Cornerstone, you can, say, you can say, hey, God met with us. He's softening the soil. He's clearing out the rocks. He's pulling the weeds so that we can produce. And they'll go, what? And you'll go, yeah, you just got to watch it online. You should have been there. But uh, they're like, no, I was out having a really fun experience. Well, you know, we talked about you. Yeah. 
The good soil. What's the good soil? Those who hear the word, accept it, and produce a bumper crop. And Jesus says, that's what God is looking for. He throws Jesus out into the world. And some of us, we receive him and hide him in our heart. And then roots go down. And then up comes. And then it's, we'll become very, very fruitful. For, for, for Grandpa Joe, that couldn't happen until he um, forgave God. You know, the thing about Grandpa Joe, um, it was tough because he was, we, we could tell he was kind of starting to soften towards the gospel. And then he went out on a domestic violence call. He was in law enforcement. And uh, Grandpa Joe was the kind of guy that would walk up and disarm a man. Just he would be looking in the eye and they'd say, don't do that. And he, he did it several times. But he tried one time too many, and a guy unloaded a shotgun blast at point-blank range in my grandpa. He was trying to kill him. And uh, my grandpa turned with his arm, and it just blew off his arm. And, uh, and so he lived the rest of his life with, with only his left hand. He had to learn how to ride again, all this, and he became bitter again. So then, in order to come to faith, he had to forgive God for taking his wife, and then he had to forgive the guy who took his arm. And, but he did do that. And my grandpa had, um, do you know what phantom pain is? He had phantom pain. Uh, so there's no arm there, but he would tell you, he would be rubbing his shoulder, and he would go, oh, my, my fist is really clenched today. And there's no fist. And, but apparently, because of how he, it, it, it just didn't, and after he came to faith in Christ, he said that his arm released and it never bothered him again. And he would tell people that his soul was attached to his fist. And he said, God took my fist so he could save my soul. And he would say things like that all the time. Uh, before he passed, uh, he had a dream. And in the dream, he, there was a river and on the other side of the river was paradise. He knew it was heaven. And his wife Hazel was on the bank, the shore of the other side going, Joe, swim over, swim over. And he's like going, I can't, I can't, I lost my arm. And she goes, no, you didn't look. And he looked and he had both arms and he starts swimming across the river and then he wakes up. And shortly after that, he passed away. And uh, he told us even, I'm getting ready to swim across the river. And we're like, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, Jimmy's over there and, and Hazel's there. We're gonna have a great time. <laughs> and I'll wait for you. Uh, but I saw this person turn from the hardened soil and he was all of them. The hardened soil, I, he, I saw him turn from the soil with lots of things buried underneath. I saw him turn from the soil where things were choking him. And Jesus, and that's, this, that's the moral of Christ's parable, is you notice oh, with these soils, he doesn't say, and this soil had to change itself. He just says, this is the way it is. And then he lays it out there and makes the good soil last. And it's like, wouldn't you like to be that good soil? As if a person could totally change so that they could receive everything that God has for them. Whether we've been walking with God for years or not isn't, isn't even the issue. The issue is everything that's buried in there, everything that God wants to root out of us so that we can, uh, we can bear fruit. I think that's enough. Let me pray for you. How many of you have identified yourself today in one of these soils? How many of you have said, I've identified myself in one of these soils? How many of you, when I was talking about the choking weeds, would say, well, that one does grow up. That's my bamboo that I have to work on 
uh, once a year or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's an ongoing thing, isn't it? It's not this once and for all, get saved and then everything's great after that. It's like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the Lord continue to clear out and sift through the soil of my life and take it deeper and deeper and deeper until, you know, until the day that he comes for us. And in the meantime, he wants us to have a great life. And that's what I want for you this week. I mean, I don't pray that this week is easy for you. I pray that this week is good for you. And I pray that you represent Christ well out there because you're running into lots of people that are, are way more, are not as far along as you are spiritually. And they need you throwing that seed in their direction. And uh, so let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you asking for big things, things that we can't accomplish. Hmm. Lord, soften that hardened soil that's there. Lord, get under the surface where people can't even see and start breaking up those hard things, those hard experiences, those hard memories that have created even patterns of behavior and thinking that are not healthy. Lord, for those of us that have choking weeds that are, help us to be willing to let you sift through our lives and pull a bunch of weeds. Get them out, and get them out. Lord, create in us uh, the continual like sifting of the soil so that, that it's loose and it's ready for the seed. And then Lord, plant the seed in our hearts of what you want to accomplish through us this year. Lord, that we would not be ones who make all these resolutions of all these ways we're going to try harder, but we would just trust harder. And that we would have faith that what you want to grow in us will be grown. Do your work in us, even if it hurts. In Christ's name.